My name's Christian Corley, and with me is James Frew, and you're listening to the really useful podcast from MakeUseOf.com, the tech podcast for technophobes. Uh, in this week's show, we'll be looking at some news items and giving you some tips. We'll be finding out how to play a hidden Wimbledon-themed tennis game on Google, learning about Spotify Lite on Android, how you can finally watch YouTube on Fire TV without having to use that awful browser, and looking at a fun little Microsoft app that they've released. God knows why, but they have anyway. Um, for you to look at Windows One. Uh, we've also got some tips, some offline productivity apps, five common PC gaming problems and how to fix them if you've ever put a game on a PC and it's not worked properly. We might have the solution for you and three secure encrypted email providers that you can use to keep your email messages private. James Frew, how are you? Yeah, I'm not good. Oh, wait, no, that's the wrong not? thing. <laughs> Why? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, it's a very British thing to just say, I'm good. <laughs> and then I added the wrong word in. Uh, yes, yes, I'm good. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, I had a nice weekend watching, uh, actually, interestingly, the Wimbledon tennis. Did you see it? I didn't see the tennis um, because my boy was playing Battlefront and I was using my, I was dedicating my phone time to keeping up with the cricket. Ah, uh, yeah. That it's was the even more British. Yeah. <laughs> For anyone that's not up to date with what was happening, so yesterday was Sunday the 14th and there was quite a lot of sport on. So there was the tennis, uh, there was the Cricket World Cup and I think there was something else as well. Um, it's been a very good summer for one. sports fans. Silverstone Formula One. Yes, yeah, yeah. So uh, there was a lot to keep your attention yesterday. Yeah, I saw a, a nice tweet stating that um, England are the only team to have won the Football World Cup, the Rugby World Cup and the Cricket World Cup, to which I retweeted, and we're the only one that cares about winning all three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Wimbledon was actually really good. Uh, the, the final was incredible, which ties in to uh, our first news item, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, this is um, a, uh, a new Google Easter egg, a way for you to play a tennis game when you should be doing some work, basically. Uh, Google's latest Easter egg is in honor of the Wimbledon Tennis Championships, which are still going on, but like the singles is all over, isn't it? Yes, I think it's all over, actually, isn't it? It's all, all over. Yeah, yeah the doubles finished yesterday as right, well. Right, OK. Well, do the... I could have, I, well, maybe they've changed it now. I, I, I seem to recall at some point the there were other competitions that went beyond the singles, like, or maybe it's just the old, because they have a veterans sort of Wimbledon as well, don't they? So maybe yeah. that's what I'm thinking of. Um, the, main, the main championship is over, so the, yeah. the men's final happens and then they do the doubles final and uh, then I think it's all over. Yeah, so to play Google's hidden tennis game, and you may have to uh, move quick for this, uh, you search Wimbledon or Wimbledon scores or something similar. This triggers Google's information box containing the results. Scroll all the way to the right until you see a tennis ball. Click the tennis ball to the right of mixed doubles and the results will disappear. And in their place, you'll see a patch of grass with an 8-bit animal standing on it. Click play and you'll reveal a grass tennis court and an opponent with um, basic controls. Just move left or right. It's basically Pong. Well, you know, it's tennis. Pong is tennis, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a reasonably fun game. Um, 
Google has a habit of making these tiny little 8-bit games. So they did one for the 30th anniversary of Pac-Man as well, which they gave its own URL. So you can go to the Google Doodles, sorry, Google Doodles. That's really hard to say. Um, archive and you can find Pac-Man there. So maybe they'll do the same with the tennis. If not, you might find that you have to get in there very quickly from the date this is released uh, in order to still try it. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on. Spotify. Uh, we had a bit of Spotify chat on the really useful podcast lately, and um, a lightweight version of the Spotify app has finally been released for people with older handsets because it does tend to get a bit heavy. It's almost turning into iTunes on the PC in terms of how many um, how uh, how heavy the resource load is for the Spotify app on Android. Spotify Lite is described by Spotify Newsroom as a small, fast and simplified version of its app. You'll still be able to do most things that you can with the regular app, but there's a few features that are made, making it ideal for older devices and operating systems, which makes you wonder why they just don't revise the app and make it universal. Yeah, that's why I've not really understood about these light apps is they redesign them purportedly for um, low-powered handsets or older handsets, ones that maybe haven't upgraded to the most recent versions of Android or whatever it is. And um, if they can work and they provide all the features, why is that not the app? I, yeah. I don't I don't really understand this whole trend. For, I, I understand the need for the light apps, but I don't understand the trend to have two separate apps. Absolutely, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a strange phenomenon. Spotify Lite is available on Android 4.3 or higher in 36 countries across Asia, Latin America, the Middle East, and Africa. Uh, so if you're in the USA, Canada, or Europe, or the UK, then you're probably not going to be able to use it. Um, same goes for the Far East. Well, it says across Asia. I'm not sure whether it will be a case in Japan, um, obviously uh, Australia. And New Zealand aren't in that list either. So Now, I don't know if um, if you can do this. I don't know if it works. But you may be able to download the APK if you're particularly okay with doing that. I'm not sure. I don't know whether they've geo-restricted the service or whether they've just geo-restricted where it's listed on the Play Store. So if you were interested, it might be worth checking out um, some of the APK download sites if you know what you're doing with those. So make sure you go to a trusted one. We've got lots of resources on that on makeuseof.com. So if you haven't done it before, check that out first. Yeah, we'll stick a link in the show notes for that. Uh, there are other light apps that you might be interested. There's uh, Facebook Lite, Skype Lite, Twitter Lite, and Shazam Lite. Is Shazam the music identification service? Yeah, Shazam? I think I think Apple bought that, didn't they? Yeah, I thought it had been integrated into pretty yeah. much everything. I didn't realise it was yeah. uh, an, in, an individual app as well. My mum's actually after a uh, very basic phone at the moment, so uh, those those are worth keeping in mind uh you know the kind of uh it's kind of uh, a sub smartphone yeah type device yeah one of those i've given her she's had a she's had a windows phone for a few years which she's found perfect for what she needed mm. but obviously that window phone windows phone is now no longer a thing or windows 10 mobile no longer a thing so i what i did i got her a um I had an old Nexus 5 Android device and I put on a Windows theme and uh, she, it's just not working for her at all. She can't get to grips with it. Yeah. Exactly. Almost identical user interface. but I guess all the apps just behave differently. Yeah. And, like I yeah, seem yeah. to remember on Windows Mobile, you couldn't see like 
what was running maybe and so it just seems a bit more complex i suppose early on you couldn't you can you could later oh, you on. can you there can there was a, right, there okay. was a task manager uh, like a, a, t- a list of running uh apps yeah uh let's move on youtube on fire uh i don't if you've ever tried to watch youtube on an amazon fire device um uh, well a, a tv device either the stick or the tv box uh what you find is you have to watch it via the browser and it's a really annoying it doesn't even begin to kind of you know most people don't understand why there isn't a youtube app it's because there's a some disagreement between google and amazon and uh that's finally whether whether or not the the hostilities are come to an end or not uh, we don't know but there is now a youtube app on amazon fire tv which should just make watching youtube easier on amazon fire although of course you'll have that whole nonsense of having to sign in using the slash activate thing and then putting the key in but uh, do you have a fire stick i do yes um i got got one for as a present last christmas and i'd already had a chromecast and i thought you know chromecast is fine i don't really need one but i got given one as a gift and actually i use it far more than i use the chromecast now yeah same yeah yeah Yeah. i really didn't think that i would but it's it's phenomenally easy to use and much more convenient i think it's the remote that makes the difference yeah uh having a remote just really makes things so much easier to go around and select and navigate play pause whatever yeah the remote is uh is useful it is of course also annoyingly small my dad lost his amazon fire tv remote for months on end months on end and with it being bluetooth there was no way you could connect to the uh, tv thing oh, um, yeah um he used an app i think for a time but he was getting sick of it so he ordered a new one a brand new amazon fire tv stick remote and about within days of it arriving and getting paired up and etc we found the old one. Oh, it's always the way, isn't it? Literally inches away. Oh, <laughs> that's so frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, you can now watch YouTube without messing about too much on the Amazon Fire Stick. Uh, so that's useful, at least. Uh, it always baffles me how they get into these silly situations, these tech companies of, you know, oh, you you won't do that for us oh well we won't do this for you and like the only people that lose out are us so i think this started because so amazon fire tv stick in the early days certainly was a very direct competitor to the chromecast yeah. and they're basically the same device they both plug into your hdmi port on your tv they both allow you to watch internet streaming services really on your tv and Amazon, especially a few years ago when they were releasing the Fire phone and and were more focused on tablets and that kind of like home consumer rather than smart home stuff, um, they particularly didn't like the Chromecast. So they just blocked it from their store, yeah. which is a problem for these kind of uh, large companies that they can do things like that. But then so Google then responded by removing their apps from the Fire. And that's how this whole thing got started. And it's just yeah. it's been going on for about four years now. Which has been an incredibly long time for such a silly spat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is very, very silly. It is um, light at the end of the tunnel. It does appear to be over now. So, uh, so that's that. And let's uh, move on to finally Microsoft's 1.11 app lets you revisit Windows 1.0. Why you would want to visit Windows 1.0, I don't 
No. Um, obviously, you've got a nostalgia thing going on. You're a bit of a fan of retro tech, whatever. Even then, it wasn't great. You no, know, it was released in 1985. And, I mean, Amiga OS was about 10 times better than Windows 1.0. So... So for fans of Netflix's incredible hit, Stranger Things, you may know that series season three of Stranger Things is set in the summer of 1985, the same year that Windows 1.1 came out. And you may then think, oh, there's a strange coincidence there, especially because the app is called 1.11, you know, as in point 11, as in 11 from Stranger Things. And it is actually a tie-in promotional nostalgia trip that ties into the whole 80s revival thing of Stranger Things. Yeah. And the, there's a little game that you can play as well to save the save the town of Hawkins. So it's a tie-in app, but it's also quite a fun thing to just download. And it's a bit like the Wimbledon tennis app that we were just talking about, the, the yeah. game that Google's done. You know, it's a small thing. It's just something fun. Um, it's not really the kind of thing that you'll be looking back on in five years' time going, I can't believe they did this. But, you know, yeah. something nice. Come on, no one had a PC in 1985. No, no. <laughs> no one had a home PC. I think that's, that's yeah, the most yeah, important thing. Yeah. There. Yeah. there was like two PCs in the office in 1985. Yeah. So, yeah, it's crackers. Um, but, yeah, yeah, go, go knock yourselves out. Let's move on to some tips now. And, you know, one of the things we do like to do on the Really Useful Podcast, and it is one of our uh, keywords for search purposes, and um, and tag tagging purposes is productivity tips and i'm i'm failing right now with my own productivity because i haven't got my links ready so i'm having to waffle aimlessly <laughs> to introduce it uh yeah so um productivity tips and one of the key things about productivity tips is that they the productivity things that you're doing they, they have to be productive and quite often there are apps and services that we use ostensibly for productivity that don't work when you're offline there was a pomodoro app i ran into that wouldn't work if my computer was offline imagine that yeah i know because i think it was using a remote clock yeah so yeah so that was very frustrating so an example um so our colleague dan price at make use of has put together a collection of apps which will all work offline among these um of particular interest i feel are the AnyDo app, Any.do, which is a fully featured task management app. And there is also Google Drive, which you'll probably use, and that has an offline mode. Uh, Microsoft Outlook also works offline. Trello is a kind of, how would you best way to describe Trello? I suppose it's, it's kind it, of a yeah, pinboard. You'd, you'd call it, a, I think the way they describe it is Kanban, which comes from manufacturing. So you'd go, this is a set of things that need to go together, and that's called a Kanban. And that's essentially this kind of method of organizing tasks. So you'd say, here is an overarching task, and then here's all the things that go underneath it in order for it to be complete. Right. And that's how you can arrange your stuff on Trello. Okay. Uh, also in the list are Evernote, although um, I think OneNote will work offline, and I think Google Keep will also work offline, so I use that quite a lot at the moment. And Google Maps can also work offline for you, but you do need to download the maps in advance. Now, it is a good list. They're not possibly all obvious productivity apps, such as um, 
you know, um, Salesforce maybe isn't a tool that most people are going to be using because it's a CRM tool. So that's a customer relationship management. And most people don't know or care what that is. But overall, it's a good list. Is there anything you would add to it or anything that stands out, James? Uh, the last pass one, I think, is quite important um, because there will be times where maybe your device doesn't have signal for whatever reason. Maybe you're not connected to Wi-Fi, but you still need to be able to access um, LastPass and other password management services have secure notes areas where you can write in, sure. I don't know, documentation or things that you need to remember that are still locked in that password manager. And you want to be able to access them all the time rather than just when you're online. And for LastPass specifically, I'm not sure about the other password managers, but you do need to enable offline access. It's a security feature to stop people being logged in or you leaving it logged in on a device that's offline or something like that. But you do have to go and enable it so that you can use this feature. But it is very yeah. useful once it's done. Excellent. Thank you. Don't know that's come up. Okay. So, yeah, we'll move on to um, well, and that link and everything else that we talk about in this week's really useful podcast. You will, of course, find in our list of extensive show notes uh, just below the texty bit and the playback bit for this podcast. Uh, five common PC gaming problems and how to fix them by... Uh, Ben Stegner. Um, now, I don't know about you, James, but um, I have over the years run into problems with PC gaming. These days, I tend to avoid the problems with PC gaming by making sure I have hardware that's good enough to at least play the games mm-hmm. adequately, if not play them in full, you know, with the full settings on. Back in uh, about 20 years ago, I got my first PC, which wasn't an Intel and it wasn't an AMD. It was a Cyrix processor. Right. Um, Long gone now. And there was no separate GPU. So that was all I had. And it was like a, what would it have been then? 386, 486? Regardless, um, it didn't have much RAM either and quite a small hard drive, but it was big enough to install The Sims on. So I thought, let's install The Sims. So I went out and bought The Sims because I saw it in the review and thought, that looks cool. And installed it, installed Find, find uh, ran it, ran fine for about 15 minutes and then crashed. Oh. Again and again and again. Every time I tried to play it, it would crash. And, you know, it's because the game had higher requirements than the um, hardware was capable of providing. So, you know, resources are a problem for uh, for games, for video games. And, you know, PC gaming continues to survive, doesn't it? Despite, mm. you know, for, for years, industry commentators and people who should know have been saying that, PC gaming is going to die off in favor of mobile gaming and console gaming, and it hasn't happened. So there are sort of five things you need to keep an eye on with PC gaming. Um, and to that, I would add, make sure that you've checked the system requirements of the hardware, meet the system requirements of the game. You may run into artifacts and visual glitches. You may hit online lag if you're playing online games. You're going to come across network ping and latency issues for online games as well. Freezing and hanging, which goes to the resources bit that I mentioned earlier. Screen tearing, which is a big problem for a lot of people when um, the video card doesn't update at the right rate. And games crashing, which again, that harks back. Um, There are 
<clears throat> quite detailed explanations to on how to avoid these. Um, I'm just going to expand on artifacts because that's when there's a distortion of the game, which is different to tearing. So you'll see weird graphic things. You'll see uh, deformed geometry, wonky feet, textures, flickering elements. And this is usually a problem to do with the graphics card, which might most usually be fixed by updating the, the drivers for your graphics card. Are you a big PC gamer, James? I'm not, no. I think we've talked about on the podcast before that basically the only game I play is Crash Bandicoot. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I actually had that on Steam until last week where I've decided to invest in a PS4 so I can play the Crash Bandicoot remaster on the console Whoa. instead. Yeah. So I pretty much just bought the console so I can play Crash. Which seems 300 pounds for one game. <laughs> Well, I had vouchers and things like that. So in the end, I only spent about 50 quid on it, which, you know, was fine. But yeah, so no, I don't think I, I don't think I could be classed as a PC gamer or a gamer at all, really. Um, but having looked at the article, I think what's striking about it is that these aren't necessarily, they're things that will affect you if you're a gamer, but they are also just common issues that you may experience on your computer anyway so like network lag and drivers being out of date freezing and hanging games crashing they're all things that can happen with any app and software and so i think even if you're not a gamer you may want to still check out the article and have a read through because it contains a lot of useful information that can just help improve the performance of your computer anyway absolutely there's stuff in there that can affect watching video playback yeah exactly tv yeah Excellent. Okay, we'll uh, press on to our final item this week. Um, uh, for secure and encrypted email providers. James, do you want to take a lead on this? Yep, yeah, sure. So this was an article that I wrote a few years ago, but have come back and revisited. Um, so a lot of people are probably aware that Google services are free because they mine your data. They look at what you're doing and they take it and use it for ads. And This was extremely explicit in Gmail a few years ago, where they would even read the content of your emails to then display you targeted advertising based on what's what's in your email. They've since turned that off, but still a lot of people are not so pleased at the idea of Microsoft, Google, and all these other free email providers reading what you're doing. You know, email is personal. It's like messaging. It contains a lot of your life, a lot of information about your life, and so you want to protect it. And so there are three major um, email providers that will give you encrypted and secure private email. And so that means that most of the trans- most of the emails, if you send them between users of the same service, will be end-to-end encrypted. So in that sense, it's a lot like WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. So only you and the recipient can view them. Now, obviously, that's not really how email works. You can send them to other services. So I could be a ProtonMail user and send it to someone using Gmail. Um, Now, those unfortunately aren't encrypted by default, but there are things you can do to get around them depending on which service you choose. So the first one on my list is one called ProtonMail, and that's based in Switzerland. Now, it has a nice bit of PR press around it because it was created by some researchers working on CERN at the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. And that's typically seen as one of the largest, most impressive science projects kind of in the world, a collaborative science project. And so it just has a lot of credibility from that. But it is also a very good service and one that I switched to full time um, mid 2018. So I've been using it pretty much as my primary email for over a year and I've been very impressed with it. 
So it is a free service, uh, but there are premium accounts available. You get up to 500 megabytes for free of storage and it's based in Switzerland and they have very stringent privacy rules, which is why it is based there. Um, and they do other things like they don't IP log your IP address. You can send self-destructing emails and a couple of other bits and pieces. Now, if you were if you're on Gmail and you want to switch to ProtonMail, it's not as fully equipped. Like there isn't a calendar, there isn't Drive, there isn't all those other services that come with Gmail. But they do plan to make them in the future. And one service they do have is ProtonVPN, which is a tie-in VPN service. So if you subscribe to a premium ProtonMail account, you also get then access to the premium ProtonVPN service as well. But both services offer a free tier. Then there's one called Tutanota. I think that's how you say it. I don't think I've ever said that out loud. I think it's Tutanota. Um, but it comes from uh, the, I think it's Greek word for private message. Okay. I, oh, sorry, Latin for secure message. I misread that. Um, and again, being in Germany, so it's protected by European privacy laws, so it's nice and private. Now, Germany's Federal Intelligence Service did collaborate with the NSA in their surveillance programs which impacts all the data held in Germany, but there's no suggestion that Tutanota were ever explicitly involved. So whether that makes a big deal to you or not will depend on, on how private you want the service to be. Again, like ProtonMail, it's end-to-end -end encrypted if you send between users of the same service. Um, but the difference here is that if you send an email to an external service, you can encrypt it with a password. So all that the person gets is a link to a site on Tutanota where they can then decrypt the, the message. And the final one on the list is one called MailFence. Um, MailFence is a bit different to the other two because it was actually set up by Contact Office, which was a productivity suite uh, that was focused on privacy. But after Edward Snowden's revelations sort of in 2013, 2014, they decided that they should be offering a private secure email service too. And their servers are based in Belgium. Um, so they have the same setup as Germany. So strong privacy laws, but possible collaboration with the NSA. Um, they do try and offer a bit more of the productivity services that you would get with something like Gmail. Um, so they do have a calendar and um, some storage as well. So you get all of that included for free. And there's a, there's a premium version available too. The only downside to MailFence is that there is no mobile app. So the other two have mobile apps, this one doesn't. So you would have to sync, you have to pay for a premium account and then use um, synchronization services like ActiveSync, Pop or IMAP. So it's not as fully featured. So if you're not a technical user, it's probably best to choose either Tutanota or ProtonMail. Do people still use ActiveSync? Um, not really, which is oh, why right. this, this is why this service is a little bit, um, it's great if you want a webmail client, um, but it's not so great if uh, you want to be able to use it on the go. You can access the mobile website, but that's not quite the same as, as how we're used to accessing things uh, when we're mobile now. A long time ago, about 15 years ago, um, I had a Windows mobile phone and it only had two options for email. It had POP and it had IMAP. And I was working in tech support in the NHS and all the uh, senior guys walking around with Blackberries, which they needed mm -hmm. in order to provide support for the uh, execs who were using Blackberries. And obviously they had push email. I didn't have push email because I had to trust you in IMAP and pop. But what I did have, 
um, I found this app that would do pop email, uh, would do push email for you. But what you had to do, you had to have your PC left on at home, acting as a server more or less, and with ActiveSync running. And then this piece of software would then detect your emails, land in your inbox in Outlook, and then forward them directly to your phone. Poor. That's such a complicated setup. Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, it meant leaving your PC on. In those yeah. days. you know, you couldn't. I mean, this laptop uses less energy and is far more powerful than my PC at the time. Um, so, yeah, you'd leave your PC on all day long. So, yeah, big electric bills as well. Yeah, not practical in the slightest. No, no. Yeah, ActiveSync's awful piece of software. I'm amazed it's still being used. But there you go. So, uh, yeah, check out our show notes for uh, more on that. And, uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Now, uh, this is the end. This is our final uh, regular show, as it were, of this run of the Really Useful Podcast. Next week, we have a chat. It's myself and Ben Stegner. We're talking about the uh, return, the explosion, the the whole retro, not just retro games, but everything around retro gaming, which is kind of big again and where that's come from and uh, how the various ways it's manifesting itself. And then in the final week of July, on July the 30th, um, James will be back with me and we'll be looking at some, um, some basically some uh, tips for traveling this summer, um, precautions that you need to take with technology, um, various things related to that. Uh, we're actually going to record it in a moment. Uh, so uh, you can hear that in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, that is it from this week's really useful podcast from Make Use Of. Big thanks to Make Use Of team. You will find us on iTunes, Spotify, Transistor.fm, and pretty much anywhere else that you can grab your podcasts. Until next time, it's goodbye from us. Goodbye.